Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and uh, find your way back to your seats. And we want to look at Luke 14 this morning. Uh, this is a fun passage. Um, lots, of, lots of humor and jokes in this passage, so that should be fun. Um, go ahead. I think you have a passage on your chair or it was given to you or your friend. It's, it's somewhere close. It's Luke 14, 25 through 35. We're going to jump right in, read it through, and in a few minutes, you want to turn to your neighbor. What are you seeing? What's jumping out at you? Uh, you know, kind of what's, what's stirring in you from this passage. So go ahead, read it, um, and, then, and then we'll have a quick discussion about that. All right, guys, let's uh, have a group discussion. <clears throat> what, are you, what are you seeing? What are some of your observations? I think we have a mic runner, so just kind of raise your hand up and say, man, I want to make a comment or an observation. What are you guys seeing? Our guy, he, you must be behind the pole. He can't see you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Camouflaged. Hello. Hi. Um, yeah, so I feel like this sort of follows a pattern that I see sometimes in Scripture where there's, like, these huge crowds that start following Jesus, and he says something to, like, throw them off and, like, almost weed them out a little bit because, yeah. like, all right, let's see, like, who's really here. Because right after that, he goes into, like, counting the cost, and it's, like, I feel like he's kind of saying, like, you know, you guys are following me around right now, but have you really thought about, like, what this means? Like, no. let me throw something out there and think about that and see if you still want to be following me after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he, almost like if, if he was in the modern church planning world, he'd be the worst church planner ever. <laughs> Huge crowd. You guys really don't want to do this. Like, you should probably leave now type of thing. It's just you wouldn't do that. Um, what, what else? Great, great observation. Hello. So, verse 26 is not nice. I read that to my mom one time, and she got so mad at me. Like, and so I just think, like, culturally, like, telling this to my Dominican mother, she's like, excuse me? Like, excuse what? Like, what do you mean hate? Like, She, like, starts to take off her shoes. She's like, that say that again. Yes. <laughs> Dominican now. whooping. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. So, I just... It's really hard to figure out like how this fits culturally, like because it just seems like it offends everyone, basically. Yeah. Did anybody else notice that that verse? Okay, was everybody was anybody kind of like, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah, I like that. It's, besides the teenagers in the room, <laughs> they're just like, that makes complete sense to me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's it's a rough passage, and and you know. As much as we're kind of like, ugh, it grates against our ears, even more so for this audience. I mean, your, your security, your job security, your, your relational networks, your inheritance, everything, your status, everything was tied up in the family unit. Your mothers and fathers and sisters, it was, it was all tied up in that. I mean, everything that you could think about in our, our kind of silos in America, you know, from family to job to, you know, retirement to where you're going to live. Like, we have these silos nowadays, and we're like, well, okay, you know, 
I talk to my parents a couple times a year. You know, that's not that big of a sacrifice. Well, in the first century, it'd be all of that. That's what he's saying. You have to hate all of it. Not just the particular person. It's, it's everything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard for us to hear, and even more so for this, this audience. Yeah, we have to wrestle with that. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. He said it. Go kill the messenger. There's, there seems to be this like um, comparative aspect to it, the you know, you hate as much as you love me, this idea of saltiness, you know, this flavor amidst other flavors, other bland flavors that stands out. And I think, I think for me, it's like I, I read this and I, I see this reality that you can lose your saltiness. Mm. And then think about, you know, what was I like after college? or when I first started following Jesus, and the cost that I paid, and how much I stood out comparative to the rest of the world, versus now, and this like losing of saltiness, like am I, is it the same? Is it slipping. Is it, has it slipped? Yeah. Uh, is it, am I not quite as, you know, convicted about certain things as I was? Yeah, at a certain stage of your life, you did give up everything. And then later you got more stuff and you forgot to give that up too. You know, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, right? He left that land and, you know, every place that he moved to, he set up a new altar to say, yes, and this land too belongs to you, God. And this land too. These people too, God, belong to you. You know, he made sacrifices every step of his journey, not just at one point in his journey. I do think that's important for us that, at some point you say, yeah, no, that, that, was, that was me. You know, maybe, maybe today you're kind of like, I think that currently is me. Like, this is my first yes to Jesus. <laughs> like, I haven't, I haven't really given up anything. And you need to make that first kind of everything decision. But what about in 10 years when you're making more money than you are now? It's maybe easy now to give up that money. But what happens when you've doubled your pay and you're like, no, no, I, I'll still give up the original $15,000 a year. I just, I, yeah, that, that belongs to Jesus. But the remaining 40, they're mine now type of thing. And, and we start slipping. We start losing that everything aspect. And there's something about you can't learn. Disciple is just a word for student. And something about you can't learn from Jesus. As much as we admire him, you can't learn from him if everything does not belong to him. We just can't, something goes wrong with our ears. And uh, it, it's quite a troubling passage because these people are following him around. They're listening to his teachings and he's still saying, yeah, no, if, if I'm not Lord of everything, then you can't learn from me. One last comment. Yeah, we went to a, this one? Uh, we went to a Voice of the Martyrs conference yeah. earlier this year. And speaker after speaker had lost somebody. Mm -hmm. Their family had ostracized them. And just sat there thinking to myself, wow, this is their reality today. You know? mm -hmm. So this, they talked about this during the conference, and it was just incredible. And the thing that was most evident was the joy. Yes. They were just brimming with joy. Yeah. And I, I sat there thinking, wow, I want that. Yeah, for the joy set before him, he endured the score of the cross. Like there's Incredible. joy and cross somehow can go together in the kingdom. Um, but that's not the way of the world, right?
Well, let me, um, let me kind of jump in here. Um, let, me, let me pray for us. So Jesus, I, I just feel like there's, there's so many obstacles to really loving you. And our ears are, are full of other voices and desires. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking, would you intervene and have your way? Would you clean us up and do what we can't do ourselves and actually bring change and transformation? Would you loosen our grip on our idols, God? And we're asking for a holy moment. And ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, I, my good friend, um, his name rhymes with screed, or <laughs> breed, mead, uh, has, has recently lost a relationship with Jesus. He, in pursuing Jesus, um, both the, him and this young woman decided this, it's better that we don't date anymore. And, um, and it's, it hurts. There's a cost there. There's a weight there to say, man, I really care about this person, but I love Jesus. And so because I love Jesus, I'm going to have to let this person go. And he's had to change his relationship status. And I just want to honor this brother because he has given up something He's counted the cost to follow Jesus. And he's doubled down on his grip on Jesus. He's fasting and he's praying and he's interceding. He's saying, God, would you, would you shape me? I've given up. I've given up my heart's desire. If left to my own devices, I would not give this thing up. But God, I, I, I freely release it. And he was telling me on Friday, he's, he's had this like tremendous insight into his own discipleship and his own character. And, and if you know anything about Creed, he does all of this with this crazy joy and laughter. I gave his... <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you know anything about this brother, he just laughs. He's free with it. He's, there's something there. He's gaining something in this, this sacrifice and he's drawing close to Jesus. And I, I love what he's done. I love the man of God that this, this brother's becoming. Man, and I feel, like, I feel like I need to learn from him. I love that we can look to him as the, an example of what it means to be a disciple. To choose Jesus over a girl. To choose ministry that Jesus is calling him to over money. And he has lost friends and family and career opportunities all for Jesus all for Jesus. If you know anything about him, he does it with a smile on his face. And I feel like that story is a bit familiar for a lot of us in here, isn't it? A lot of us have given up some stuff for Jesus. Some of us have given up weed. <laughs> some of you are still in that process, amen, so praise God for grace and process discipleship, but Today might be that day for that letting it go, you know? Just drop your joint on the bottom, you know, underneath your chair and walk out. Let it go. Some of us have been separated from family 
You know the choices for Jesus is going to separate you from their expectations, their demands on you. Some of you have lost zeros on your income for Jesus. And yes, some of us have changed our relationship status for Jesus. I've done it twice in my life. That was this before I was married, <laughs> just to be clear. I remember arguing with this Catholic girl in the kitchen of my house over Romans 5. And we, we broke up because of Jesus, like explicitly because of one passage, one verse. And it just summed up everything that was wrong with this relationship. And we knew that we could not be in unity anymore. And because of my love for Jesus, I've never talked to her again. And guys, if you've made those sacrifices, I think most of us in here have done something in the name of Jesus, have lost something in the name of Jesus. You also know the joy that comes in losing that thing for Jesus. You know, there's a, a cup of cross and of joy. There's something about laying it down, and yet you receive life in the process of laying it down. You let it go, and somehow the, the, the thing that it represented, the true thing that it represented, that security, that love, that belonging, you received back from Jesus. And so we know as a community what it's like to lose, and yet find joy and guys, if, if this is like your first time considering the cost of discipleship, whether or not you should lose stuff and things and people for Jesus, I'm telling you, it is worth it. He will rearrange your life, and it's worth it. He will rearrange your sexuality, and it's worth it. He'll rearrange your finances, and it'll be worth it. And it won't look like the world, but it'll be worth it. There'll be joy. There'll be life in the middle of that. And I think for a lot of us, the question I have for us, because many of us have given up stuff for Jesus, the question I have for us from this passage is, but what about the third girlfriend or the eighth job? Or what about 10 years later when the excitement runs out? You don't have the ministry success that you wanted. Will you continue to rearrange your life for Jesus? Will you still give it up? Will you forsake all others for him? The cost isn't about a one-time thing, one-time event when you threw out those CDs or you deleted your porn or you broke up with your boyfriend or you changed your major. This passage is just as much about the cost of continuing discipleship as it is about a one-time sacrifice. You know, my marriage only means something because my yes on that one day continues through ups and downs through good days and bad days, good months and bad months, good years and bad years. My yes means something because it continues. Not because I sat up in a tux and said yes one time. The cost of discipleship isn't about a one-time event, it's for life. And will you count the cost to be a disciple for the rest of your life to continue? As a missionary com community, I think we're called to endure. And in order to continue in discipleship, we must learn to hold on and endure one more mountain. We have to learn to hold on like a baby and never let go. And we need to learn to embrace, to hold on to the embrace of the good father. 
So I just want to unpack those three things. We need to learn to hold on and endure one more mountain. This past spring, I got to take Isaiah on a man trip. This was um, his 13th birthday, and because in our culture we don't really have like, uh, you know, kind of that, that passage, that rite of passage type of stuff, uh, I said, man, you know, what's more manly than, you know, pooping in the woods and climbing a mountain and backcountry hiking and, and going out in the wilderness, and, and me and my, my brother-in-law, we, we said, we're going to hike with Isaiah, just him, and we're going to hike up into the back of this mountain and, uh, and, and we're just going to hang out there. And it's going, to be, it's going to be about manhood. It's going to be about, what are you learning about being a man? And we're going to like anoint him and say, man, God is calling you to be a man after his heart and, and, and that type of stuff. So we got ready. We, we, we looked at maps and we talked to park rangers and we got online and, and we traveled there. And we looked at the mountain and it was like, oh, yeah, that's a very beautiful mountain. And, uh, and we decided to set out. We said, you know, I, we think it's worth it. We think this is going to be worth the trip. And so we set out onto this mountain and started climbing up, and we're asking him, you know, buddy, this is, this is about, this whole thing is an analogy, and it's a metaphor for manhood, so be listening to Jesus right now. What is he teaching you about what it means to be a man as you're climbing up this mountain? And the scenery was beautiful. It had just recently snowed, so like the trees were kind of crusted with some snow, and, and the mountain peaks were kind of like, kind of, uh, you know, just touched with that snow, and, um, um, and I'm from Florida, so that kind of sucked after a while. I was like, yeah, snow's wet. It's not just beautiful, it's wet, and then it's really cold. It's snow, it's frozen. I don't know if anybody is from the north, but Florida boys don't know about that nonsense. <laughs> Stupid. And, um, and so as we're going, I, you know, I thought I was in decent shape, but I started sucking wind. I guess I'm from sea level, and um, I was like, oh, this is, this is actually kind of difficult. And I, I remember looking at the map and saying, you know, what, you know, it seemed like we've gone for a while. And I looked at the map and I'm like, our dot hadn't moved at all on the map. And I was like, holy crap. I was like, okay, okay, well, it's going to be okay. This is okay. Let's keep on going. My legs started to hurt because I've been nursing a hamstring injury. And apparently when you're climbing up a mountain, you need your hamstring. And I didn't realize this because I'm usually walking on flat ground. And I'm like, oh, this is really painful. And I look at the map, and we had hardly made a dent in the journey. And I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, it's going to be okay. This is going to be okay. Let's keep going. And then the temperature started to drop. And like I said, I'm from Florida, and we're all from Florida. And, and I don't have actually clothing for that weather. And I was like, oh, it's getting really cold. Let's do Let's really hike harder to really get the body temperature up and burn those calories. And I said, man, it's going to be fine. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. And we could see the top. I mean, it was like really tempting. We're like, we could see the, the, the mountain going up, and, and then it was just sky up there, and we, we knew that the, t the end was near, you know? So it's like, let's just keep going and encouraging each other. And, you know, we did stop a few times just to make some yellow snow and stuff like that. And we kept on going, and... And it was about this destination, and we, we crest the mountain, and it was just this moment of like, there's another mountain. <laughs> we realized there were several mountains in our journey, in our way, and this was the easiest one. <laughs> this was the flat one on the, on the topography map. I was like, this is the mountain we just climbed, and it's this angle, and we're about to hit the next mountain, which is this angle. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then I'm like, I, 
I can't look like a wimp in front of my boy. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Eventually, we camped at the summit of another mountain, and I, at that time, I'm like dragging my leg, and it's freezing. It's got to be in the single digits. Like, it was so cold. It was just like one of those moments, and, we, and the wood was wet, and we couldn't really get a proper fire, and, and, and we're sitting there, and we're just like, no, 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 but we got to do this man thing with Isaiah, so we're like really quick trying to be like, okay, God wants to like make you a man after his heart, and we tried to pray with him and anoint him and, and stuff like that, and it was really cool and we had MREs so that saved our bacon so we just ripped those things open and just poured this food in our mouth and then we got into the tent and I'm like okay let's just sleep it off next day it's gonna be fine and I, I, I get my sleeping bag out which I ordered from Amazon for this weather because I knew it was gonna be cold and I unroll it and they sent me the wrong one they sent me a kid's <laughs> kid's sleeping bag a child's sleeping bag that was thinner than a blanket. I get into it, and I literally cannot zip it up all the way. Like, I'm like this frozen burrito in this thing. It could barely go over my head. It was like one of those, like, igloo ones. And, I can't, and I'm just, like, laying in the tent like this, and I'm just shivering because it's freezing, and this is, like, not even a blanket, okay? And I, at this point, I said, it's not going to be okay, I'm going to die on this mountain. And that whole night I was thinking, my brother-in-law is sleeping next to me, and I'm thinking, will two men fit in his sleeping bag? <laughs> the whole night, I'm like, I don't know, he's kind of he's skinny, you know? <laughs> it might work. <laughs> it sucks so bad. The next morning, we found a service road for park rangers, and we hiked it back down that mountain. <laughs> it was not going to be okay, and the cost was too high. Man, the first mountain we crossed, it was good. We, we, could, we could make it. Second mountain, no problem. Count the cost. It was high, but like, we could keep on going. After almost freezing to death in the mountains of Georgia, nope, cost too high. We went back down. doesn't matter what the excitement was at the beginning of the trip. We hit the wall and it was too high, and we went back down the mountain. And many of us have counted the cost for Jesus. We've crossed those mountains. We've said yes one, two, three times for Jesus. And now I'm telling you again, the crossroads will come, and will you count the cost of continuing to follow Jesus? Because right over that one mountain is another one. It will happen again. You will hit the crossroads Will I continue to follow Jesus? Will I continue to give him everything? Will I continue to set up altars for the Lord in every land I go to, every season of a life I'm in? 20 years ago, I said yes to Jesus to pursue racial reconciliation and simplicity, to grow closer to the poor in the name of Jesus. Even though none of my family or friends would really understand what I was doing, and I moved to a place where my house has been broken into five times and my kids can't ride their bikes down the street or walk outside, really. We made decisions to make less money and give a bunch away, and so I have to repair my own cars and I have a crappy house and I have a plywood front door. I've crossed those mountains for Jesus. But will I hold on and endure His cross when my kids accuse me of abuse for the ways I've raised them? by thinking it's unkind and unfair 
what I brought them into? Will I continue when I can't buy the newer used car? Or take that vacation when everybody else seems like they get to? Will I hold on to Jesus and endure the mountain of my own jealousy? And say yes and count the cost of continuing. This passage is just, a, just as much about endurance of discipleship as it is about cost, the cost of continuing with Jesus. And in Revelation 3, there's the letters to the church, the churches. And uh, the, the format to the letters kind of goes something like this, like, good job, but there's one thing. And then there's kind of like a warning to the churches. And then there's the, the encouragement to those who be victorious, those who endure till the end. There's a reward. And it's interesting because if you look at the rewards in, that, in those letters, it's stuff like life, security, identity, belonging. And I can't help but look at those things and say, all the things we're tempted by, all the things that, that tempt us to compromise, that tempt us away, that tempt us back down the mountain, we will receive from the hands of Jesus himself if we endure all those things that are the desires of our hearts, we will receive from God himself if we persevere, if we continue, if we hold on. And there's this repetition of the language repeated, these commands in those letters to the churches. If you hold on to what you had at first, if, if you endure, if you hold fast, if you hold on, you will be victorious. And human beings know how to do that. They, we know how to hold on to what's important, what we can't lose. We know what it is to grip something and not lose it. The problem in this, these letters, because the command is hold on to what you had at first, it implies that we might actually switch it out for something else. That we might at first hold on to something so tight, but we might exchange it and hold on to something else. And Jesus is saying, no, church, go back and hold on and grip tightly the thing that I gave you at first. And I think we can do this, but we need to learn how to hold on like babies and not let go, because babies are freakishly strong. I don't know if you've ever seen a newborn. They're freakishly strong. This is, this is actually, <laughs> this is from an experiment. 1890s, they did this experiment with babies. This is when, back then, like, you could chew, like, radioactive gum, glow-in-the-dark gum and stuff like that. They did all kinds of stupid stuff back then. And one of those things was they experimented with babies, and they said, well, how long can they hold themselves? Seems like they're really strong. And guess what? Every baby can hold themselves. Like, just hold themselves. Newborns. I'm talking about less than six months old. They can just hold themselves. The longest one can hold themselves for two minutes and 30 seconds. Most of you in this room can't do that. They're freakishly strong, man. And it doesn't matter whether, you know, if you've seen it with a newborn, you just kind of put your finger in their palm and they'll do this. It's an automatic reflex. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be mom. It could be a blanket. It could be a knife. And they could be like, yes, this is what they do, right? But if they have something in their hand, they won't let go of it. They'll hold it and they won't exchange it for something else. If their hands are already full, they won't grab the knife. Babies are freakishly strong. I've seen women, full-grown women, just brought to their knees because the earring snatch. 
Some women know what I'm talking about, you know. And if you think Tlaib in the NFL snatching that chain off that, you know, crab tree this past week, you think that was something, wait till you've seen babies with some necklaces. They'd be snatching necklaces left and right. Bop, bop. They just see it, grab it, yank it. They're freakishly strong. But the interesting about, thing about babies is that after six months, it begins to diminish. This like freakishly superhuman strength that they have, they can't hold their heads up. They can't hold their liquid. But they can hold their bodies? What? Weird. But they start losing that at six to 12 months. And interestingly, that's, that's about the same time that they start paying attention to their surroundings. Their eyesight kind of comes in, and they, they'll hold on to something, and then they'll go, huh. And they'll let go and grab at something else. They get distracted by the little toy or the shiny thing or whatever it is, and they reach and grab for it. And you would think that because they're reaching and grabbing for something, they should actually get stronger. Like, why, why aren't they getting stronger? They, their strength actually decreases as they get distracted by other things. It's when they have a singular focus that a baby is actually superhuman. It's incredible. I feel like Jesus is calling the crowds to hold on to him and only him forever. Now I've seen a lot of young disciples come to Jesus with all sorts of passion and fervency. They're like babies, man. They just hold on. It's just they don't, they don't know anything. They don't know the Bible. They don't know, any, they just, they don't know the worship songs, but they're just like, but Jesus, Jesus has saved me. Jesus has cleansed me. Jesus has rescued me. And they just hold on to the name of Jesus. It's like the only prayer they know to pray. They're just like, Jesus. They don't know the religious language. All they know is the name of Jesus, and they hold tightly to Jesus. But just like babies, we start getting distracted. We start looking to other things. And we loosen our grip on him who saved us at first. The problem is, is that we've gone and grown up. And we think we're older than we really are. And our grip is slipping. We get distracted from our discipleship with acceptable sins. Sins that don't really pop out. It's kind of like you're kind of allowed to flirt with these things. And we say, oh, that's a shiny new car. Let me loosen my grip. It's a shiny new relationship. Let me loosen my grip. And we find these things more attractive to the thing that we had at first. And I think sometimes we're tempted as missionaries, guys, to be honest. I'm tempted because, you know, I've sacrificed so much for Jesus. Sometimes you feel bad for yourself. And it's kind of like if you go to the gym and you work out really hard, and you, what do you do after the gym? You reward yourself with a milkshake that you call a smoothie or a piece of cake or whatever. You say, man, I worked out really hard today. I'm going to eat half this cake now. Or if you had a really stressful day, this is when people start making those bad mistakes. They start clicking on those websites they shouldn't click on and stuff like that. It's because you're super stressed out. It's like, well, it's not that bad. It's, I, I deserve it. I, I, you know, I know I shouldn't, but I, 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 want, I, I need to you know, take a break, and I, it's been a really hard time, and so I'm just going like, to veg out on video games all night. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but it's like we start loosening our grip. We start finding comfort and security and, and rest and things that are not Jesus. And so our grip starts to slip on them. When our eyes start to lust after cars and boats and houses and other people's spouses, and our language, our mouths, 
the same mouth, we curse other people and we worship God and we're people of contradiction and our grip starts to slip. We don't build each other up. We don't just love each other unashamedly. We don't build each other up and we start to slip. In our finances, we buy the latest thing and the BOGO deal and the upgrade because we deserve it because you know, we sacrifice in so many other ways. With our relationships, we pull away after a fight and we pull away from community so we can care for ourselves because, you know, we've had it hard. And our grip starts to slip. Even in our proclamation of the gospel, we wait for the perfect moment. We never talk about eternity and we just make Jesus a teacher. And our grip starts to slip on him. The thing that we were not ashamed ever to talk about. God has saved me for all eternity. And yet somehow it starts to slip and we just forget to talk about God and what he's rescued me from. At least I'm tempted to. Waiting for that perfect moment with my neighbors. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, my neighbor's in the ICU ward about to die. And I've forgotten to tell her that Jesus can save her for all eternity. Because I was waiting for the right moment. My grip has slipped. I can't help but notice it. We grasp after other things. Because we reach for them, we lose our grip a bit. I do feel like We have to all identify what those temptations are. They're different for you than they are for me, you know? I'm jealous by people's sheds <laughs> and houses. You know, I wish I could have other stuff. I wish I could buy that car for my 17-year-old daughter. You know, I wish I could afford that insurance for her, because that junk is expensive, because teenagers are crazy, and they wreck stuff, but man, I, I, I wish I could do it, and, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to earn more money, and I can't help but think, man, am I pursuing wealth now, am I pursuing money, and I'm trying to think of a side business of woodworking that maybe I could sell pallet benches and tables and stuff like that, and make a little money on the side, and you know, I can't help but think, am I losing my grip? Because I have all these other convictions. I've had these strong convictions about how Jesus wants me to live and share and, 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 and make these sacrifices for him. But I'm looking for ways to compromise. I'm looking for ways to maybe, maybe skirt the issue and find my way around it. And I, I don't know what that thing is for you. I, don't, I really don't. You, know? like I, you don't have to live like me. But you should live for Jesus. Like he, you should ask him how you should live. And then if, if all of a sudden you find yourself compromising over time, changing over time, like you have to ask the question, has your grip slipped a little bit? Are you holding on to what you had at first? Or are you trying to hold on to two things, two gods, two ways of living, two kingdoms? Because I'm telling you, it doesn't work. You can only serve one God. You can only serve one kingdom. And we have to all investigate our lives, whether this is the first time you're considering the cost, the first mountain you're trying to climb, or this is your 15th mountain. We all have to consider this cost of continuing. 
I know for most of us in here, we've laid down a lot for Jesus. So my word for you today is hold on. Hold on to the thing that he first gave you. That intimacy. That salvation you didn't understand. The grace that you didn't deserve. Hold on to that thing, man. Hold on to those Bible passages that you didn't quite get, but you knew it was something that was for your heart. Like, hold on, don't let go. Don't trade it in for a car or a relationship, a flawed human being. He loves you and he saved you. He's your only hope and he's in charge of you. He's in charge of your family and your, your children, your finances, your decisions. I mean, he covers it all. And all of this sacrifice, all this stuff about sacrifice, it's not about legalism. It's not about figuring out, okay, what new law do I need to put on myself? Guys, for me, it's about relationship. How, how do I know how to run my life? How do I, if I'm giving up my family, if I'm giving up my, these silos of family and career and finances, if I give it all up for Jesus, then how do I know how to live? What do, I do? what do I do when I go to the bank? What do I do when I need a new car? How do I live? How do I actually have genuine relationship? How do I have a relationship with the opposite sex? What do I do with my sexuality? I don't know any of those answers. And we could do one, two things. We could create a new law and just start saying, well, what you need to do is wear a skirt and it, you know, dress like this and drive this type of thing and live in this neighborhood and let's create a whole new law and just burden people with that. Or you could ask God, you could actually step into that gracious relationship with a father who loves you, has saved you, and is your only hope. And you can just say, God, I actually don't know how to buy cars in this world. And if left to my own devices, I'll follow the way of this world. And I know the kingdom of this world is not the kingdom of our God. And so God, would you please instruct me? Would you please lead me? How should, I, how should I actually have a friendship? What type of words should be exchanged between two human beings? Because God, I don't know how to talk to other people without you. I don't. I don't know how to build up another human being. Ask him. I know I need to stop assuming that the way I parent is the way that he would want me to parent. I need to investigate that. You know, I need to stop assuming that, man, if, if I haven't changed the way I parent, and maybe he's not Lord of my parenting. You know, if I don't change the way I buy houses or pursue business, or if my life starts looking like everybody else's around the world, then maybe Jesus isn't really Lord and I'm losing my grip. And I need to know that I need to hold on and live in the grace of that relationship. And live in the grace of that relationship. So when I mess up, when I get my parenting wrong, when I take a step a little bit more to the left and to the right than I should on that narrow path, I know he is there to gently guide me back, to restore me, to rescue me from myself. Because I think if we're going to continue in discipleship for the long term over every mountain and hold on like a baby, then we need to learn to hold on to the embrace of the Father. Um, I, I love Indiana Jones. I don't know if anybody likes Indiana Jones. I know um, some of the college students and younger folks are kind of like, 
don't know what that is. That's a sin. Just kidding. No, I, I, I kind of grew up on Indiana Jones, but uh, Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail, there's, a, there's this final scene where the, they, they search for this Holy Grail, and the Holy Grail is like, you know, if you use this thing, you have eternal life. If this relic, it was, it was supposed to be the cup that the blood of Jesus was kind of held in. It was at the Last Supper, and it's the Holy Grail. And, and if you had this thing, you had everything. You had life. You had security. You had fame. It was everything you ever longed for was in this Holy Grail. And at the very end of the movie, there's a giant earthquake, and the Holy Grail goes scooting across the, 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 you know, the floor and kind of down into this crack. And, and the love interest of Indiana Jones basically you know, falls into the crack as well. And you see the hero of the day, Indiana. He's like running, and, it, and he slides on the concrete, on the dirt, and he reaches out, and he just barely grabs her hand. He's holding onto her hand, and he's kind of like, hold on, hold on. And she's, and, and she's looking up at him like, like with desperation, kind of terror in her eyes, and then she looks back and she finds the grail just out of reach. And she starts reaching back. She reaches back and she's like, it's almost, I almost have it. I almost have it. And he's crying out to her and saying, you know, I'm slipping. You're slipping. I can't hold you. Give me your other hand. Give me your other hand. She's like, I almost have it. I almost have it. And of course, she plummets to her death. Loses her grip and dies. And in the process of losing that grip, Indiana falls into the same position, falls into the crack, into the crevice. And his father comes up, Sean Connery, you know, comes up and grabs his hand. And he's like, son, hold on, hold on. And Indiana is holding there and, you know, hanging there. And he looks up and then he looks over and he says, I almost have it. It's just out of reach. I almost have this thing, this holy grail, this eternal life, this fame, this glory, everything my heart desires is just out of reach. And then his father says, Indiana, he calls his name, says, Indiana. And our hero sobers up. He, he's awakened. And you see his, his gaze changes and he looks back up to his father almost out of a dream, almost out of a stupor. And he reaches up and he grasps for his father. And he holds on and he's pulled to safety and he loses the grail. But he's safe and secure in the embrace of his father. This passage isn't about loss. It's about continuing in the embrace of your father, receiving from him everything you need. Identity, security, belonging, giving up these false things, these holy grails, these things that you think will give you something and in fact only give you death. And to hold on to what God gave you at first, the love of the Father, this call to be His children, to hold on to Him, to His embrace. If only we would hold on to Him, guys. Hold on to the embrace of a good father who sent his only son, Jesus, into the brokenness of this world to live among us, to be with us, to know that we're broken, to know we're enslaved. He knew we were in darkness. And will you hold on to the embrace of a God who came to free us, 
from guilt and shame and sin and idolatry and from the power of the enemy? Will you hold on to the embrace of a good father who sent his son to the cross enduring separation, taking the weight of all the sin and slavery and hatred and rape and pain of this world onto his shoulders? He didn't have sin, but he became sin for us. The true cost of discipleship, guys, is that it costs God. He died for you. And on the third day, he rose again to life, not in like a hope, not in like a, 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 you know, a thought, but bodily, God up out of the grave, an empty grave, a truly empty grave. He was resurrected, victorious over death, and it cost God, and in his victory, we now can be his. We now can be his students, his disciples, his kingdom. The true cost of discipleship is the price Jesus paid for you and for me. He paid to free us, to transform you. And now Jesus invites you into a choice. All paths do not lead to the same destination. There is a fork in the road. Continue in the way of this world, family, career, seeking significance with what you do, the way of empire, to conquer or to be conquered, and it's all about who we know and what we own. Or, or we now have a choice in the resurrected one to hold on to the ways of the cross where there's only him. There's only him. You lose the grail, but you gain the embrace of a good father. Missionary family, hold on to Jesus. And nothing else. One priority, one concern, one audience. Hold on and endure the next mountain. Hold on like a baby and don't let go. When the microchurch is not effective, hold on to Jesus. When depression begins to creep back in, hold on to Jesus. When your children are crazy and school is overwhelming and your love for stuff tempts you away from generosity, hold on to Jesus. In the dark, in the light, in the morning and at night, hold on to the one who holds on to you. Hold on to him so your hands are consumed by the holiness of God. Hold on to him so that there are no other choices to make because it's only him. All for him. And this morning we want to count the cost of continuing. You've made it over the first mountain, maybe several mountains. Don't compromise now. Don't give up now. You've seen hardship, yes, and you endured it for Jesus, yes. Don't turn back down the mountain now. Don't go. Say yes again today and every day for his name, his sake, and his kingdom. And this morning as we come to this table, I want to invite us to ask Jesus, what are you asking me? What holy grail am I looking to hold on to and causing my grip to slip from you? And I'm asking you as a spiritual moment, as like a holy altar, Holy Spirit moment, say, God, what is that holy grail? And will I forsake that thing? 
so that as you come to this table to drink this body and this blood of Jesus, you'll walk up and say, yes, Jesus, only you, only you, only you. I forsake it all. There is nothing. I give everything. Not just my past, my present, and my future, God, belongs to you. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, a God who broke his body to be with us. In the same way he took the cup, said this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Remembrance of me. When you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you declare to the world and to yourself and to your holy grails the death of the resurrected God. And that you belong to him, not just in theory, but actually in the cells of your body are now integrated with his, with his body, his body and his blood. Guys, would you come and have a holy moment? Give up your holy grail. Give up everything because it cost him everything. The body and blood of Jesus given for you.